Welcome to the Gone Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Howe. And I'm your co-host, Angie Rogers Howell. What is the Gone Boss Podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly podcast where we feature awesome women in our community. We interview them, we'll find out what makes them tick, the cool things they're doing to make our community a great place to live and work, and how they've gone boss. And who's our guest today? Our guest today is Gay Nation from Westminster Village. I love the way you say their name. Gay Nation. She's a little Southern and uh, it's going to be great. Back in college, uh, your Bible college, everybody knows you went to World Harvest Bible College uh, over there near Columbus, Ohio. Um, you, uh, you're very brutal. You broke some girl's arm. Yeah. Tell me the story behind this. Now it's they're all accidents, but come on. <laughs> this one was an accident. So my friend and I goofed around a lot because it's, we're 19, 20 years old. Now, you have to keep in mind, back in college, I was like 100 pounds soaking wet. So it's not like I could have like punched somebody in the arm and broke it or anything like that. Um, but I had this stuffed animal. Uh, it's a stuffed animal, Donald Duck. But when I was little, I couldn't say Donald. I called it Donkle. I still call him Dunkle Duck. So I had my Dunkle Duck that I had had since I was a baby. And it was with me at college for whatever reason. I don't know why I took it there. So I had my Dunkle and my friend, she knew that I loved my Dunkle. <laughs> and she thought it would be funny to steal my Dunkle and mm-hmm. then hang him from the ceiling. like. And, so, and you can't get him because you're short and skinny. Because <laughs> I'm short and skinny and I couldn't reach. So anyway, she got the dockle down, but she wouldn't give it back to me. And I chased her down the hall. And it was like midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning. It was late. Um, and so I'm chasing her down the hall. And I reach out to like to grab her or to yeah. grab my dongle. But instead of grabbing her, I accidentally like kinetic energy like pushed her over, <laughs> knocked her off balance. And yeah. she went to f- break her fall like you do. Yeah. She put her arm down and broke her wrist. Ouch! Yeah, at two o'clock in the morning. So, what what'd you guys do? Like, R R A. Like, she's like screaming. Like, my friend is screaming and crying because she just broke her wrist and it really hurt. So, our yeah. R A had to like bundle us up and go to the E R in the middle of the night and all that kind of stuff. So, now the story doesn't end there no. because you got your, uh, or she got her revenge on you because oh, I had to be help her, her right arm. I, yes, because it was her <laughs> right arm. She couldn't write. It was. The week of finals, I think we had finals or whatever could be construed as finals at Bible college, because whatever. Um, but uh, so we had our, our big tests and everything. So I took mine, and it was we had music theater. Like so, I had to write. It wasn't just like multiple choice, check yes or no kind of thing. Yeah. We had music theory, so it's like writing chords and like music theory stuff. Um, so I took mine, and I had, I got my grade back, and I got an A and all that. But she had to take hers later. So, but. We were bad Bible college students because we figured out a way, like, she would tell me, I would have to write down her answers for her. So yeah. she would tell, we would take the test, she'd tell me the answer, and then I'd write it down. But if I knew that that answer was wrong, I would tap my pencil twice, and then she would be like, oh, maybe I should rethink that answer. And so she did, and then we wrote the right one. <laughs> <laughs> so I found ways to possibly cheat in Bible college. Wow. <laughs> There was also a time in Bible college, speaking of cheating in Bible college, um, so sometimes you'll have open book tests, right? Yeah. Well, our book is the Bible, so we have- Open Bible test. Yes, open Bible test. So anything that's in your Bible is fair game. One of our teachers said, or I was going to say professor, but they weren't professors either. It was brothers. One of your instructors. One of the instructors who was really a preacher on staff at the church or whatever. Okay. uh, Said anything that was in your Bible is fair game. So we wrote all the answers to our- study sheets or whatever 
in you know the back couple pages of your Bible that's blank or whatever, we yeah. wrote those all in our back of our Bible in pencil, and technically it was in our Bible, so it was fair game. Anybody get in trouble or caught for that? No, we all like we all did it. I don't know why we thought we were like so clever or whatever, but uh, so yeah, we all did it, and I don't think any of us got caught. And I guess we all aced that test. Old Testament survey. <laughs> Tell me about that class. Old Testament survey. What what's that mean, even? It's a overview survey of the Old Testament. So you learn all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. Like where people are on a map, stuff like that? Or uh, where people are on the map and the basic stories and like the, you know, what God is trying to teach you through those uh, stories and things like that. And this only lasted, what, a few months? It seems like that would take like years and years well, of research. and Yes, but because it was Old Testament like survey, so it's like a overview kind of thing. So okay, not so like just in... the cliff notes of the Old Testament. Yeah, kind of. Which really, if you're, we were evangelical, like, holy roller people, mm. so the Old Testament doesn't matter that much, because the, really what's important is the New Testament, because that's where Jesus comes and fulfills the law, and that's where um, the Holy Spirit comes down, everybody speaks in tongues, and all that kind of thing. So that's the part that really matters to charismatic evangelicals. So the Old Testament, it's good to know, it's good history, it lays yeah. the foundation, and all that kind of thing, because that's where Jesus comes from, the bloodline, but, like... The real important stuff is what happens in the New Testament. Our guest today is Gay Nation of Westminster Village, Muncie. How's it going, Gay? It's fantastic. Great. Uh, first question of the day is, you know, when, when, when you talk every now and then, I get this little twang. So I'm going to guess that you are not a Hoosier-born uh, person. So where where are you from? What's your background? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Perry, Georgia, which is a very small town south of Atlanta, about 90 miles, and 30 miles south of Macon. And I come from a really loving family uh, that uh, they just always supported me, um, no matter what my choices were, even though there were choices that, they wish I had not made from time to time. Um, so I'm originally from Perry, um, but I went to school at University of Georgia. And so after Georgia, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And from there, I moved to New York City in Manhattan. I Ooh, lived nice. in Manhattan from 1979 to 2008. Wow. So I was there for uh, quite some time, 28 years or so. Okay. And uh, I lived on 20th Street and 1st Avenue, right in Manhattan. And I also lived in Dallas during that time. I had a home in Dallas and an apartment in New York for okay. work. I commuted for three years. Um, every week I commuted either in to Dallas or to New York. Oh, wow. And so that was a sort of a challenging time. But when you get on a plane and you don't have luggage and you just have your purse, so you're commuting, uh, it was a shorter time to get to Dallas door to door than it did for my friends that worked in Connecticut or Philadelphia and commuted to the city. So, and they did it every day, and I only did it once a week. You know, so it was like a three-hour commute door to door. Now, wow. now, what were you doing during that time? Like, what was what? Uh, maybe not where you worked, but what was the job? What What was that? Well, when I lived in New York City, uh, when I first moved there, I was a, a potter. I, I made home handmade ceramics. Oh, okay. And um, I was teaching ceramics, and so when I moved to New York, I was really looking for a position with a, a studio but I moved to New York with a boyfriend you know they say you move for love or money um, <laughs> I, lived, I, lived, I moved for love 
And I said after that, the next time it'll be for money. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I was while I was looking for a, a place to work, his brother-in-law, who was in the fashion industry, um, they had a salesperson that wasn't able to go to a seeing day at a buying office. And we had lived with him for three months. And so he said, come into the city with me and you can, you know, go on this appointment. I didn't know a single thing about the fashion industry. I didn't know what a placket was. I didn't know what a wingtip collar was. And so we put these little pin tickets on the back of the garments. And uh, I went, left the office with one of those large rolling cases that looks like a coffin. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is back in the early 80s where everybody went to the buying offices, uh, rolling your uh, garments. So I was in the garment district. And so um, that day... uh, I was showing the buyer the clothes, and I was just throwing them down on the floor because the office was half the size of this room here. And so um, after a few minutes, he's, I said, well, this one comes in like five different colors. And he goes, well, do you have any swatches with you? And I looked at him, and his name was Mr. Rosenberg. And I said, uh, Mr. Rosenberg, I'm so sorry, but I don't know what a swatch is. And <laughs> I think he almost fell off his chair, and he says, little lady. And, you know, I was in a very southern accent. He said, little lady, just give me the style numbers. He had been shown the same product for about six months, and they, no one had ever gotten an order from him. And so I came back with paper. You know, they say, do you have paper? And I said, I've got paper. And he had written over a $30,000 order, and it was the first time I'd ever, ever even been on an appointment. So they said, well, maybe you would like to work in the showroom. And I did over a million dollars in sales my first year. Wow. Okay. So that's how I got into this uh, fashion industry and so I was in that until I moved here in 1993 but I know there's a gap why is it that I was in New York until 2008 (laughs) I maintained maintained an apartment for 16 years when I was working for Jim okay Jim Jim Davis Davis. yeah tell us about that well um I worked for Jim Davis for 23 and a half years as uh, originally I was director of apparel and then I became director of sales and marketing for North America but um, a girlfriend of mine that lived in Sarasota Florida and Jim had a home in Sarasota mm-hmm. Florida and I had known her from college and so she came to New York every year for two weeks to a month and uh, had subjects for art she was an original artist and owned a gallery in Sarasota and so um, she was thinking about taking on an agent so she had said, oh, can you meet me at Michael's Restaurant on 55th um, at 7 o'clock tonight? I'd like your opinion, personal and professional, of this agent. So when I got to the dinner, I was asked him all these questions about how he's going to rep- represent her, what he was going to charge her. He said, well, what is it that you do? And I said, I'm in the apparel industry. At the time, Jim Davis was getting ready to purchase his worldwide rights back from his partnership with United Media. And... His agent said, well, I think it would be interesting to have someone that has a background of manufacturing apparel and design as our director of apparel. So I met Jim Davis two weeks later at the Doral Park Hotel on 29th Street and Park Avenue. I consulted for him for six months because he was like, I don't know if I'm going to get my rights back, and I don't know if I want such a big personality. Uh, and so I consulted for him for six months, and then after six months, he said, I'd like to offer you the last job of your career. Well, of course, he didn't offer me the last job of my career because when they downsized, I was really not ready to not work. Right. But um, so that's how I got to Muncie, Indiana. Okay. I officially started January the 15th of 1993. All right. Now, after uh, Pause Incorporated, where did you end up at? 
For a year after leaving PAWS in June of 2016, I worked for Nash Radio, and actually my relationship with Al Rent is what got me that job. He used to do a morning show, um, you know, with Al Rent at Mm -hmm. Ball State once a week, and I guess after one of the radio interviews, they told him, we're looking for a salesperson. He goes, look no further. And so um, I got a call from the radio station and said, I know you don't know us, but Al Wren has recommended that, you know, you're you're not working right now and we'd love to talk with you. So um, I interviewed with them and went through three rigorous interviews. Yeah. While I was working for Nash Radio, I got a call from someone saying, Judy Harris of Westminster Village has retired and you should think about applying for this job. And so I did. And of course, four rigorous, again, interviews later, and four or five months later, I was finally hired uh, as marketing director. When I look back, this is a job I probably should have had all along if I had known about it. But the only thing is, I'm not quite sure at this stage of my life, I wanted to work as hard as I'm working. I said, <laughs> I wish I'd had this job 20 years ago. You know, I think I have brought a fresh set of eyes, mm-hmm. perhaps to how to market Westminster. And it's, it's just a fabulous culture to work in. I mean, it's a pleasure going to work every day. Everyone is always happy. They're always smiling. They greet you. Um, you know, so it's, it's, they have developed a really great culture there at Westminster. I think that 25% of our staff has been there 10 years or more. And I think in any industry, particularly in the health industry, that says volumes about being able to work there. Absolutely. And I mean, you're working at a place, spending so many hours there. Um, you want to go to a place that you actually like to work to work at and not because you have to be there. I don't think that three years ago or five years ago, I thought I would be working as hard as I am or enjoying my work as much as I am. Mm -hmm. So someone said, well, when are you going to retire? And I said, well, I'll know when I know. Got a question for you. You've had this uh, long career uh, in the fashion industry, which I had no clue about and everything. So what's something you wish you had known back then that you know now that you'd go back and tell yourself? Oh, I think that it would probably be to always be prepared no matter what you know, and to um, ask more questions, to have a mentor. There's a number of people through through Rotary that have been mentors of mine. Um, Actually, Tom Ferris is one of Mm -hmm. them, and, you know, he's been in the marketing Mm -hmm. industry for a long time as well. Jim Davis, I learned a lot from Jim Davis. I mean, he was a great mentor as well, uh, just on the creative part Mm -hmm. of it. So I Mm -hmm. think I developed a lot of my creative style from working at PAWS for 23 and a half years. And I developed a lot of my fashion and design from working in New York. So I had some mentors in New York in the fashion industry. So what's on your bucket list? What do you want to uh, accomplish before it's all said and done? I'm not quite sure it's as much as accomplish as um, I would really like to go on a safari. I mean, that's on my bucket list. And I want to take my mom. You know, my father and I had always talked about uh, going on a safari with my mom and my dad and that didn't happen my father uh, passed recently in December so I'd really like to take my mother on a safari I would really like to be able to travel a lot more to extended time periods mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. but that will probably happen when I retire right. and of course my fiance is Frank Brinkman an attorney in town and he loves the law and so <laughs> I, I mean it, 
he has expressed that he wants to work considerably longer than I do. And so um, I'm hoping that he'll be able to take some of the trips with me. But I've also always wanted to go to the Taj Mahal, mm-hmm. okay, in India. I want to go to Nepal and South Asia. Uh, I'd like to go to Australia. And also I've been able to develop friendships with uh, people all over the world. So I think I'd like to do a little bit more time that I could go spend time with them. I have somewhat, I feel like, an adopted son, Attila. He's from Istanbul, Turkey. And Frank and I have been host family to him for seven years. He's in his master's program right now at Ball State. He's an international student. I've been to Istanbul once for two weeks to visit his family because... He is now like my adopted son, and their family is like my family. So I'd like to spend a little bit more time um, in Turkey and some of the surrounding areas. Interesting. Now, you mentioned uh, Frank Brinkman. Uh, tell us about the Brinkman Gallery. What's your role in, in that? Well, I'm the owner and curator of the Brinkman Gallery. I When I opened it, I thought I'd have a little bit more time to spend on that. So right now, we're really just open on for short periods of time and by appointment only mm-hmm. but I've always um, been interested in art I was an art major in college okay um, I was a music major as well and I actually my first love I wanted to be a big, big band director I played trumpet for 11 years oh, wow. but um, I'm really sort of tone deaf and I think one of the lessons is to listen to your mentors and my professor he said you know you shouldn't have to work so hard at something you love so much and so he suggested I (laughs) change my major out of music (laughs) he said because you'll never be as good as really what you want to be because I had to work too hard on it because I was tone deaf so from there I got into um, the um, art and pottery and I developed a great sense of art I have a rather extensive private collection of original artists that I have Mm -hmm. collected my entire life I mean I would I would not have a manicure for a year just to be able to buy a piece of art and so uh, what I really want to do is feature um, artists local artists I really want to do more of working with uh, companies for larger installations Mm -hmm. and so um, the gallery is a showcase for that more than just open on a daily basis okay now, tell us about your fur baby. Oh, my gosh. Our fur babies. What is it? <laughs> I know, one no, just, just, one. just one. It's just one. Um, and, and this relates to the, to, to the art because I've seen these uh, uh, great paintings of your fur baby plus yes. other two dogs. Yes. Tell me about all that. Uh, well, um, Kevin Campbell, um, one of the artists that I've featured really now for quite some time, he has uh, an array of style of art from his puzzle projects to original mm-hmm. uh, portraits, and he loves to do dog portraits so Stella has has had her portrait and I, everyone that knows me knows my dog and yes. oh, absolutely. So yep. she's I, I don't know if I'd say the love of my life because Frank's the love of my life but she's the love of my life as far as a fur baby and so she goes to work with Frank every day mm-hmm. and if you walk by his office which is right next to the Brinkman Gallery mm-hmm. as well which is next to the cafeinery uh, you'll see Stella in the window. She's in the gallery anytime that we have a gallery show. And so I, I, I should probably have her own little web page or something because <laughs> she's, she's a delightful little dog. Now, you mentioned in 2018 you had double hip replacement. 
Tell us about that whole process because that was a that was a, a chunk of time out of out of your year. I had been treated for bursitis for quite some time, and it was not getting better. Well, as it turned out, I needed a double hip replacement, and so I decided to have both at one time. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really sure how long the recovery would be. I had the surgery on September the 11th, but I was back in the office four hours a day on October the 5th. I know. So it that was, was that was a less than a month. And you were determined to get back. I was determined to get back, but I had time to prepare for my surgery. So I did a lot of um, therapy prior to the surgery in order Mm -hmm. to have the strength after the surgery. And I also um, had everything that you could imagine at my home. Uh, I had a hospital bed. I had um, the tall toilet seats. I had the walkers. I had... um, all the aids that one would need and so um and i was determined to get back to work but i was very diligent about my therapy Mm -hmm. when someone says what's the success to recovery and it's like rehab 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 Mm -hmm. i'm actually still in rehab i'm still going two days a week i know at some point i'm going to be released from therapy but (laughs) um, i'm still in therapy two days a week Uh, i pretty much have my full range of motion but not my full range of strength Mm -hmm. and so um, i'm still in therapy well the moment you have the surgery the pain that you experienced is no longer there and i know several people have said how can you look so much happier after surgery and i said because i don't experience a pain which i was in 24 hours a day, 100% of the time. And so uh, that pain has left my body. One last question. Um, if someone were to play you in a movie, who would you want that person to be? <laughs> oh, well, you know, I thought about this question as well. Um, and there's actually probably three different okay. actresses. Okay. okay. <laughs> Name them off. Let's hear it. Uh, the first would be Kathleen Turner. Okay. okay because, you know, and, and, most of well, the women I've selected really are more Southern women, but Kathleen Turner, she always sort of had a raspy voice, mm-hmm. and so I have admired her, you know, in her work and have seen her on Broadway. And then Sybil Shepherd, okay, okay. I think I can relate to Sybil mm-hmm. Shepherd a little bit from being the yes. Southern, yeah. And so um, she's the second one, and the third one, okay, who does not love Meryl Streep? That's true. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So I think either of I can those see a, three, a Meryl Streep, Sybil Shepherd. Uh, combo combo in you yes <laughs> well there you go well thank you so much for being our guest today really appreciate it well thank you for having me i'm honored to be part of your podcast it's exciting and i love what you guys are doing and so i thank you for having me well thanks so much we'll see you later And now it's time for another edition of What Angie Hates. So, Angie, you hate a specific... uh, Business function. You know what I hate? What do you hate? I hate people who don't know how to use email. So, it's the reply all, isn't it? Well, there's a couple different things. Oh, oh, there's more than one. There is more than one. But (laughs) reply all is the thing that is really getting on my nerves this week. Um, I'm involved in several different business groups, networking groups... Uh, theater group, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 2019. People, email's been around for a long time. I did grow up not having email, so I know that people like had to learn this. People had to learn this, but I have learned it, and I'm not the most technological person. You guys can learn it too. So 
if you're, it's, they send out a group email, right? Saying, rehearsals on this day, or blah, 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 or I don't know. Our meeting has changed to this time. To this time. Do, you do not have to reply all to everyone to say, thanks, got it, or great job, or okay, I'll be there, or no, that doesn't work for me. How many emails have I gotten this week alone from reply alls? Probably at least 30. Oh like, gosh. I'm not even joking. Like, <laughs> it drives me insane. And I'm in, like, some Google groups. Like, Yeah, tell me about those. Oh, I'm in this Google group for a board that I'm on. And, mm-hmm. like, somebody emails out saying, hey, I just want to let everybody know you guys did a great job this week. And I'm really proud of the progress we're making and the work we're doing, blah, blah, blah. Great. 37 different people write back, great. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Oh, all right. I'll be there. Great. I'm like, no. Reply directly to the person that needs to know that information. You do not have to junk up my email box with 300 different replies. Be like, okay, got it. Hugs, whatever. Don't do that. And while I'm talking about email and how people don't know how to use email, people who don't know how to use subject lines. Okay. There's a subject line in your email for a reason. Now, I work for a guy who would uh, put his entire message Uh pretty much in the subject line. Don't do that why do you do that that's ridiculous come on like a subject line is a short snippet that would kind of clue you in about like what the subject of the email is about that's why it's called a subject line so it really needs to be like three or four words yeah whatever doesn't need to be the entire copy body of your email in that and it happens a lot like a lot of people do this and i don't know why they do it (laughs) just say this is about the meeting tomorrow and then go into the body of the of the email and write it out. Like then put in your the copy that you want to talk about. Doesn't right. need to be in the need to be in the subject. <laughs> also, don't send me one that doesn't have anything in the subject because oh yeah, it's like you accidentally the, sent me an email. The non-subject the line. The non-subject line makes it hard to search for things, doesn't it? It does. So people, it is 2019. Email is not a new thing. Like. We now, can all figure it out. I can say this. The latest uh, edition of uh, Google Mail, uh, Gmail, yeah. or if you're using Google Suite, um, there is not a uh, easy way to reply all. They made it tougher. They made it harder. I'll give you that. You, you, If you're going to reply, you hit it reply, and you actually have to click another button that says reply all, which I love. I think right. that's great. That's yeah. going to cut down on so much crap out there. Right. And also, when you're replying, like sometimes reply all gets you in trouble. Because you want to, like, bitch about somebody or say something bad about Now, someone. some people would say, never do that via email because... Well, somebody... Yeah, some people would say that, but... So, yes, that is best practice. That's you best practice. You should not do that. But you do it anyway. But you do it anyway. But if you're going to do that, double, triple check that you're not replying all and or, or replying, like, to, like, your boss or whoever. Because, like, that can come and bite you and you don't want that. Yes. So, just reply all. Be careful. There's really very few instances where you really do need to reply all. So just double, triple check. Make sure you're not blowing up somebody's inbox. That doesn't need to be. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Gone Boss. Be sure to check us out at goneboss.com or hashtag goneboss. We're on Instagram at GoneBoss2K, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Good Girl Gone Boss. If you like what you hear today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and don't forget to tune in next week and find out who has Gone Boss.